Well, good morning. We are, of course, delighted that you can join us this morning. And also for those of you that will be catching up on this later as this morning, uh, you are spending time preparing 422, the building, uh, for the next steps for all that is ahead of us. You know, last week I started a series called United. We want to be united in a divided time. And if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to catch up. Uh, this talk sits as part of a, of a wider whole. This is part of a series, and each week will make more sense in the context of the others. The danger of culture currently is that we grab something. We grab a soundbite, we grab something out of and a conversation out of context. And yet we're a people, aren't we, that are on a journey together. And so week on week, we build together, we invest together in all that the Lord is doing among us. So this is part of a series. You know, Psalm 133, I don't know if you've read it, it says this, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. The psalm then goes on and it ends that particular psalm by saying this, and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. You know, I believe there is a blessing in unity. The Father wants us to live in unity. We live in a divided time and the unity that we live with, that we're called to live with, that we're fostering as a supernatural seed of unity and expression of the kingdom among us is a very, very powerful weapon of God, particularly in this time, particularly in this season, to extend the reign and the rule of God among us and those around us. You know, our understanding of unity and our ability to live it out will therefore have a huge impact on the people that we become together. How wonderful and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Honestly, before the paint was even dry on last week's talk, um, I don't know if you heard it, uh, I found a real challenge to the unity among us, right from the off of giving that talk. Our daughter watched last week's talk and I mentioned her in the talk. And for those of you that spotted my deliberate mistake, I said that she was six years old. Well, she isn't, she's seven. And not only is she seven, she's nearly eight. And I encountered, I've got to tell you, a significant problem, having made a significant mistake. And the challenge to the unity among us in that moment should not be underestimated, I can tell you. But I'm delighted to say, all things are well. Forgiveness was eventually um, free-flowing among us. But I do want to make an unreserved apology for that momentary lapse. We have to fight hard for our unity. We have to fight to maintain it as there will always be things and dynamics that seek to dilute it, to distract it and to damage it. And I said for, for this series I want to try and anchor each week around a particular phrase just allowing you to hang your coat on something and to really go away and reflect on it. Last week I talked about being faithful managers. How do we harness and how do we steward the unity that we're called to and live faithfully out those implications and all that it has for our lives. Today I want to consider what it is for us to walk a fine line 
when it comes to unity. There are so many challenges to our unity and, and some things unsettle and disrupt that and we need to be aware of them and to find some of the fine margins for how best to, to lean towards unity and all that the Father asks of us. So we're going to look briefly at three things. It might be one of them that particularly resonates or speaks to you more than, than others and I'd just encourage you to reflect on that, to dig into that this week. Seek to find ways for us to change, for us to be shaped and for us to long for the presence of God to manifest among us and for his glory to be displayed. So the first, the first point is really this, who are we against? Who are we against? If I'm honest, this one isn't really a fine line at all, but sometimes we live like it is. So we need to reflect on this and to put it back in its rightful place. Who are we actually really against? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. The challenge to our unity is that we're often against something or someone. Unity breaks down as we engage in a relational or political or circumstantial battle. We start to dig our heels in and others also take up a position um, and the, the other party would do a similar thing, taking up a similar position. Whether the matter started as trivial or not, it starts to lose all perspective and prevalence. You know, I found myself just a couple of times in one of those almost cartoon-like squabbles with our children. You, you did it. No, no, I didn't. You did. No, I didn't. You did. Oh, but you did. No, I didn't. No, you did. I mean, it's like, come on. What are we playing at? I know that's just a a really daft illustration, but how often do we find the thing that irritates or the thing that annoys, the thing that um, then need to bring bear to each other with opposing standpoints or viewpoints. If someone isn't living the way we want or we thought they should or the way we needed them to, if it isn't fulfilling an objective or a standpoint for us, then we'd question it. What are they doing? I can't, I can't believe they would do that. But who, I want to ask us, who are we actually really against? The enemy is our enemy. The enemy is our enemy. It isn't each other. And if we lived by that principle, if we kept that at the forefront of our thinking, it would make such a difference to our unity among each other and our ability to reflect that then to the world around us. Ephesians 6 verse 12, some of you will be familiar with this, but I encourage you, dig it out and reflect on it. It says this, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The enemy is our enemy. Other people, other churches, those with differing views are not our enemy. And we want to try and foster and, and have an accepting heart and attitude towards those with whom we might disagree. We're not called to be, um, sorry, we are called to be, absolutely we are, we're called to be representatives of Jesus in both truth and grace. It's not one or the other. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said this, we make every effort to keep ourselves united in the Spirit. We want to be united in the Spirit. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, bringing yourselves together with peace. Unity requires effort. We're supposed to bind ourselves together. Therefore, we seek to throw off an argumentative spirit. 
I don't know if, if that might be something you, you want to reflect on. Do you have an argumentative spirit? You know, we don't focus on points of disagreement or debate. Again, that might be something you want to reflect on. Do you find yourself focusing on points of disagreement or debate? Well, as much as made of verse, uh, sorry, of, of Ephesians 6 verse 12 about the powers and the struggles and the demonic, you know, the phrase that really stands out to me is this, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Other versions would say our struggle is not against flesh and blood. How much spiritual warfare in our lives and that we see would be sabotaged if we realise that and live that out? The next series that I, I plan to do will be about spiritual warfare. Honestly, I couldn't not do a series on unity leading up to that because one of the key strategies and, and methods of the enemy is to break down our unity and to bring about relational tension. We are um, seeing, sorry, where, where are you in your life currently seeing and facing relational tension? Could it be that the enemy is seeking to and finding a foothold and the door to that and the door to him needs slamming shut? So often something so minor can build into something major. We focus on the faults of someone, someone else and someone else who like us is human, imperfect and prone to making mistakes. Shouldn't our response be to actually to foster grace, to forgive and to move on holding no record of wrong? rather than becoming bitter and increasingly irritated. Our commitment to unity is a commitment to the purposes of God in this world, which includes having a healthy, unified body of the people of God. It doesn't mean that we have to love all of the different things other Christians do or believe. But in his heart, Jesus deeply loves his body those who are people that are born again of the Spirit and who know the Father. And we've been called to love the things that Jesus loves. So we have no choice but to love the whole church, even denominations who beliefs we may not agree with or whose parts we do not always fully understand. You know, spiritual warfare is real. We have an enemy who is real. There are most certainly authorities, rulers and powers seeking to undermine the kingdom rule and reign in our lives and in this city. But the enemy is never each other. We've got to be clear about that. The enemy is never each other. Often we walk a fine line with this, but it shouldn't be a fine line at all. Who are we really against? It shouldn't be a fine line. It should be that the enemy is the enemy, not each other. Do you need to reflect and consider how that looks for you and impacts you and the relationships and the dynamics around you? I dare say we'd all do well to consider it. The second thing is we walk a fine line when we're seeking to be shaped. One of the greatest privileges and joys, I would say, in my life and has been for many, many years, has been shaped, cared for, championed and loved by people in the church that I've walked life out alongside. Equally, I would also say one of the greatest challenges i faced has often been exactly the same thing because there is such a fine line 
between how this is done and the dynamic of it. For me not to hit my ceiling, for me to keep growing, for I need, I need people that are going to challenge me, shape me, encourage me and spur me on. But within that dynamic, within that relationship, I bring my own sensitivities, my vulnerabilities, my pressure points, the things that even subconsciously I may feel are are off limits areas of my lives for others. My, my, my experience of life, my wounds, my scars, previous memories, and other people bring the same into that dynamic. They bring their stuff, but equally they would also see life through their lens and their filter, and they would bring prior experiences in which I would then also bring mine. And I know you know that. I'm not telling us a new thing, but what I want to do is just remind us it's such a fine line as to how to do this and how to get this right. And therefore, why there is such a wrestle for our unity and why often, rather than see the, the enemy as our enemy, we start to see each other as our enemy and we put the wrong thing in, in the viewfinder. And therefore, as a result of that, we, re we retreat to our shell for safety, protection, avoidance, or whatever it might be. You know, even the closest people to us, depending on what they say or how they say it, can cause the defences in us to go up. You know, I would say, and I hope it's the reality as well, Steph has free reign in my life. She has to have. For me to be all that Jesus has called me to be, to, to be who I should be, to be who I should be to her, to the kids, to you, to others, she has to be second only to Jesus one of the, as one of the main voices speaking into my life and seeking to shape me. But even with her, I can be defensive. You know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't snoring. I was just breathing heavily because I'm tired. I'm, I'm not on my phone whilst the children are trying to talk to me. Actually, I'm just checking the weather to see if I can go out with them and fly the kite. <laughs> like, really? Just to be very careful here, what I'm not saying is Steph has a list of demands that I don't attain to. She has a remarkable grace and sensitivity. What I'm more trying to say in, in a light-hearted way is to illustrate that sometimes we can be defensive and make something controversial and confrontational or take a stance that actually restricts the Father speaking truth and love and grace into our lives through others. 1 Corinthians 5.12 says this, It isn't my responsibility to judge others, sorry, to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. What a powerful verse. It certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. I want to place myself before the Father to be shaped. Do other people speak into your life? That's the question I want to ask you. Do other people speak into your life? And I'd ask you if, if the answer is no, why not? Isn't the reverse of being defensive to actually seek it out? Speak into my life. I want to be more like Jesus. Point out to me areas in my life where you can remove the ceiling and I can become more like him. But it's such a fine line. How we do that and how we go about that. 
Paul in another context, he's talking about false teaching, but he says this in 1 Timothy 1, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Surely, what we do, how we act, and how we speak should be out of a place of love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But how many times do we see it out of love? I, I need to tell you this. Have you ever seen that? It might not be that language, but it can be that style or that approach. And, and the outworking may as well have been that language. We've got to be people that to maintain unity, look and reflect on our hearts and consider and look and reflect on our motives. Philippians 2.3, Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest for others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Our faith should be lived out in community. Community is common unity. Community. That's the, the, the breakdown of the word. It's a fine line, but we've got to walk it. It's a fine line to maintain unity when seeking to be shaped and, and, and to shape others. It's a fine line to learn to do it well, to foster discipleship culture and mentality among us. But it's the place that we long for and desire to reflect on. The final point I believe this should hopefully tie it all together this is how I believe we're to walk the fine line is we foster unity with love and a gentle spirit 1 Corinthians 4 20 for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk it's living by God's power which do you choose should I come with a rod to punish you or should I come with love and a gentle spirit that's what Paul says as he's seeking to challenge and to shape the Corinthians which, which do you want? Is the question I want to ask us. Should I come to you with a rod to punish you? Or should I come with love and a gentle spirit? I know honestly which one I'd prefer. I know which one would bring the best out of me. I know which one is going to give me the best soil to grow. We approach each other with love and a gentle spirit. If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels but didn't love others, I'd be just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. How do we walk the fine line of needing to be shaped but relating in a way that maintains unity? Well, we foster unity in love and with a gentle spirit. It's not a cynical, it's not a critical, it's not coming from that place at all. It comes for, not from a place of meeting a need in me that justifies a, a viewpoint in me that causes me to have a one-upmanship attitude over somebody else. It's a doing and sharing of life with love and with a gentle spirit. 
if we live that out, if we put that into practice, it's going to change how you speak to your boss tomorrow. It's going to change a text that you might send later today. It's going to change your reaction when somebody wrongs you or criticizes you. It's going to change your moment where you might have been undermined or critical of somebody else, sorry, or undermining or critical of somebody else. Because we foster unity through love and a gentle spirit, but we've got to fight for that. We've got to seek that out. How today, this week, how for you would you make this a habit and a lifetime of doing so? What would that look like? What changes would you need to, to make in your life to bring this to pass? 2 Corinthians 12.20 says, everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you. Imagine if that was true among us. I'm longing for that because that's what I'm seeking the Father to establish among us. Everything we do is to strengthen you. Imagine if that was the reality, not to tear each other's down, not to puff ourselves up, but to strengthen everything was to strengthen. That sounds to me like a foretaste of heaven, a, a foretaste of the very thing that we're longing for here on earth. 2 Corinthians 12, 20, everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you, for I am afraid that when I come, it won't be like that. That won't be what I find, and you won't like my response. I'm afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorderly behavior. I mean, wow, we want to ponder that list and run a mile from it and ensure that is never something among us. But although Paul asked nothing of the Corinthian believers, some doubters were still saying that Paul must have been sneaky and made money from them somehow. And so again, Paul explains that everything he did was for the believers. It was for their edification, for their enrichment, and for their strengthening. He's seeking to explain his stance, but I think we would do so well to learn from this as we consider unity, that everything we do is to strengthen each other. Would that be true among us and among each other, that we'd be a people of love and of a gentle spirit. Psalm 133, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, evil life everlasting. In a divided time, we're seeking unity. Let's consider who we're really against because it's not each other. Let's remember we walk a fine line when we're seeking to be shaped and we want to lean and therefore err on the side of love because we foster unity with love and with a gentle spirit among each other. I hope that's a helpful reflection this morning. Why don't we just spend some time praying and allowing the Lord to minister to us.